Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series from canvas to screen on select Saturdays in March. Enjoy a film that captures the drama and beauty of some of history's most celebrated works of art, including Metropolis, Days of Heaven, and Marie Antoinette at NortonSimon.org. Come see the new quiz show, Go Fact Yourself, with special guests Andy Richter and Fresh Air's Tanya Mosley. It's March 23rd at the Crawford. Get your tickets at las.com slash events. LAist Studios. Hey there, How to Early listeners. Your host, Brian De Los Santos here. We're off today for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but we're still bringing you a fun chat. It's one I had back in November as part of On Air Fest at Dublab Studios here in LA. It was a very cool, day-long immersive sound and storytelling event, free and open to the public. And Imperfect Paradise host Antonia Cerejido and I were there to rep our LA Studios podcast. Welcome to How to LA Live. We're coming to you from the Dub Lab studio space, not far from University Park. Thanks to Dub Lab and On Air Fest for having us. Representing LA Studios with Antonio Cerejido of Imperfect Paradise, I'm Brian De Los Santos, host of How to LA, a podcast that focuses on the people, issues, and communities that energize this city. We aim to drop a little knowledge about the city with every episode and discover new things along the way. Today, it's all about LA stories. We're a city of nearly 4 million people, with almost 10 million living across the county. We all have different stuff going on in our lives, depending on where we come from and where we currently live. So, in a few minutes, we're going to get into it with homegrown photographer Alon Schoenholtz. He is one of those Angelinos who reps his city and is very apparent in his art. But first, I want to give you a feel of the podcast, How to LA, and the voices we aim to highlight in our reporting. You're going to hear from Mario Luna from West Adams, Nisa Ahmad from Mid-City, and Grant Suno, who works in Little Tokyo. Take a listen. So we are at my childhood park in West Adams, my favorite playground in the world because that's where I grew up at. There's a bunch of slides, there's swings, and then basketball hoops. I sucked at basketball, by the way. Who's on my team? Team? West Adams. Historic West Adams. It's changed a lot. That's Mario Luna, a West Adams resident who might love this park even more than I do. He's 42, and he's been coming here since he was 15. The park itself, it used to have a lot of gangbangers. Now you see more kids, you see more people taking walks, more people walking dogs. How long have you lived here in West Adams? Sounds like you're an expert. You're a pro. I love it. Well, I'm... Born and raised in L.A., as a youth, I was into the gangs and into a lot of things that I shouldn't even be saying. But I used to come to this neighborhood for the same reason why it was bad. So now that it's good, I want to come do my part. Now it's a place where I bring my kids. So today we met up with Nisa Ahmed. She's a gardener extraordinaire and mid-city stan who has longtime family ties to the area. I live in lovely mid-city Los Angeles, and I've been here for approaching eight years. 
We met her at her super charming 1920s bungalow duplex. Nisa has mostly worked in Hollywood as a film producer and lived there most of her life until she moved to this neighborhood eight years ago. Cool. I'm exploring my city. I'm from LA. Now she feels like a mid-city OG. Do you guys mind if I sit between? Yeah. Okay, so I can shift the mic back and forth. Thanks for opening your home. Let's kick things off. Why do you love this area, and how did you get here? So my family has lived in the mid-city area since the 1960s. And after having been in Hollywood for most of my years in Los Angeles, on the way to work, I was working in Culver City at the time, and I got detoured through the neighborhood, and I was like, oh, it's really cute. It's got all the things that Hollywood didn't have at the time, like parking and a garage. It felt like a real neighborhood. But we're in the middle of the city. We're right off San Vicente. We're right by Crenshaw. I mean, so we do have the ghetto bird (laughs) a lot. You know, we might have some street racing just a block away on San Vicente at night. But to me, that's all a part of the flavor of it. Tell me a bit more about your family history here in the 1960s, because I'm sure... The neighborhood has changed, demographics. My family came here through the great black migration, like most families. They came out of Tulsa, Black Wall Street, came to California in search of better jobs. So my uncle was a war vet coming out of the Korean War, got a job with the post office, and this was an area that you could buy a home. So that's actually what brought my family to this neighborhood. They wanted to live in a dignified neighborhood with other dignified black people. Not to say that we're not all dignified, but redlining was putting us in really low, just not attractive housing projects, like not really giving us the opportunity to quote unquote live the American dream. So we're standing here on ISO Street and First Street in front of the Union Center for the Arts. This is Grant Suno. He's a director of community engagement at the Little Tokyo Service Center. We think about Little Tokyo as primarily now a Japanese-American neighborhood, but I think it's important that it's a lot more than that. It's a sacred place for people who are Tongva, people who are Japanese-American, people who are Latino, people who are Black. It's a place that is multi-ethnic and really kind of lifts up all of those histories and a place that shares those values. We start walking down the historic First Street Corridor In front of each building is a plaque that tells you all the different businesses that have been there over the years. We don't get too far before Grant pulls us under an awning of one of those buildings. It's his favorite mochi shop, Fugetsudo. Started in 1903 by my grandfather, so I'm the third generation. And next year will be 120 years. This is Brian Quito, the owner. We specialize in mochi, sweets, candies. Some of them are imported, but most of the stuff we make is here. We make ourselves. What is your favorite? My favorite is the strawberry bean paste with ganache chocolate on top. I don't know anyone that doesn't like it. I asked Brian, what are some of the changes you've seen over the years as a business owner here in Little Tokyo? The store is still the same size as been for the 75 years, but we pump a lot more stuff out of it. <laughs> I can remember the heydays of the 60s, my dad's era. My grandfather's era was back in the 30s, before the Depression. We have a very instinctive community that somehow is able to pull things together and survive. That was Nisa Ahmad in Mid-City, Grant Suno and Brian Quito in Little Tokyo, and Mario Luna in West Adams. Coming up, 
my conversation with photographer Elan Schoenholz. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back at On Air Fest at Dublat Studios near USC. So you're an artist, you're a photographer, and but you're also from LA. You were raised here. You're a homegrown artist. You document LA as well. Tell me, where did you grow up and how did you get started taking photos of this place? Um, I grew up right near Fairfax High School, Melrose and Crescent Heights. And I took a, a UCLA extensions class in photography when I was about 13 or 14, I bought a camera with my bar mitzvah money and uh, ditched a class to go see Black Flag play one time that summer. Yes. They played on the campus. But then there and then also my high school teacher was Mr. Spitzer at Fairfax High School. And he was one of those teachers who really cared and really taught me some basic things about composition and seeing. And I've been into it ever since pretty much. I love that you had that spark when you were younger and now you're here documenting it. And it's kind of, I feel like when I went on to this adventure with you not too long ago, you, clearly this city influences your work. Um, what inspires you? What influences your work? Um, how do you see your work through the city? I mean, I think the parts of the city that show cultures blending. So in 1987, the year I graduated high school, I photographed a bunch of graffiti in the Pico Union area uh, back. This was way before anyone was dreaming of digital. And I posted one of the images on Instagram and an artist friend of mine is like, oh, my Tia was in that gang. No. And then the other thing was I photographed a place that said kosher style burrito, which was in a Salvadoran neighborhood in Westlake area also back then. And I'm still looking for those things now where, where they're just sort of crosses of cultures and places that gentrification hasn't destroyed. I really wanted to invite you to Dub Lab because um, our tour around downtown was so impactful for me. I, I, I describe it as a romantic kind of like moment with you because we saw the sun setting and it was uh, such a beautiful experience for me as a homegrown Angelino as well, but also just seeing you capture your art. You know, let's talk about downtown and all that. Why do you take photos when it's the dusk setting and when you know the city starts going to sleep not all the time but sometimes yeah so i think my favorite time to shoot from mostly i do a lot of the photography from my car um and my favorite time is is that time of evening because then places like santi alley that are just swarming with people during the day are all of a sudden empty and it's like that scene from uh spirited away when all of a sudden there's just no one there and there are empty booths and I really like driving around the city and seeing how it changes. Um, and downtown has a lot of that. What exactly lured you to downtown? Because when we were driving around, I remember you were pointing out the theaters that might be now an Apple store, um, things that have changed uh, throughout those streets. What made you want to go back and capture those places for your own photography? So I started photographing those places before I 
ever dreamt of making a living as a photographer. Now I'm, I'm lucky enough. Um, I document art and architecture, uh, and I make a living doing it. Mm-hmm. And back when I just loved taking photos, those were the places I would just walk up and down Broadway. I'd go to the last remaining seats that the LA Conservancy did to show films in those grand theaters. And there's just always been a sort of old LA romance to that. What are some of your favorite places that you photographed across the city? Tell me some of those highlights. Oh, I really like the area. I always forget the name of the bridge, but at the northern end of California State Historic Park, what used to be the cornfield, right at the opening to Elysian Park, there's a bridge there. And it's sort of a magical space because you can see into East L.A., you can see USC County from there, the, the building there. And there's a train that goes right under there. There's graffiti everywhere. There are tents with City Hall in the background. And I feel like most of an L.A. story can be told right at that spot. And it's, it's easy to park and get out of your car there. So I love that. A little, a little, tr- a little tip for folks there. Um, something that really impacted me in our tour was that you were learning a lot about different cultures throughout the city because of the places you grew up around or the people you grew up around. Tell me about how the people of this city have influenced what you know of the city. Oh, so I grew up until 10th grade. I was in an Orthodox Jewish school. Everyone had my exact background. And then I went to Fairfax High School in 10th grade. And it was just like the Wizard of Oz going from black and white to color. And not to date you right now, but tell me yeah. like about what era okay. is this? Yeah, yeah, I graduated in 87. And so up until that time, I didn't really have any contact with anyone outside of my background. And then I had friends from Pico Union who took me to Boyle Heights to like a 24-hour taqueria and a lot of Korean friends. I had friends uh, from South Central at the school. There was a lot of busing. And all of that was interesting to me. And I sort of just followed those different things and, and had friends in different communities. They'd have me over their houses. I'd go to a Korean friend's house and I'd take my shoes off. And I had never experienced that before. And all of that was interesting. And I'm still sort of following that. Some of that is very apparent in your zine that you published not too long ago, Los Angeles at five miles per hour. What's it about the title? I mean, to me, I, I hate driving. FYI, for those listening, maybe you can feel me on that. I hate driving. But you make it a part of your art. I think we're stuck in our cars, so I try to make the most of it. And I think everyone wants... I mean, I've always been interested in how do you show a visual image that's LA, that's not the observatory or the Hollywood sign or a palm tree. And for me, it's looking out of my car, seeing the view through the side view mirror, seeing in front of me and behind me, seeing what it's like to be stuck in traffic. That's our LA. That's how so many of us see it. And I try to capture that visually in, in that zine. And hopefully someone you know who sees it gets, gets a sense of, oh yeah, I know that building. I know I've been stuck in traffic right there. Help paint a picture here. What do those images look like? What are the structures you're capturing? So a lot of older buildings, like I'm really not interested in, in new fancy buildings. Um, I'm really interested in buildings that have some history and we have so many here. I mean, we're in a historic building right now that, you know, um, this beautiful old brick DWP building. So I'm really interested in that and and in showing things on the street, graffiti, other things that show basically non-commercial life in L.A. So it can be anything that's not big business and that it is just people living their lives in the city. Yeah. When we talk about downtown, I cannot 
ignore the fact that there is a large unhoused population there. Um, the homelessness crisis is obviously in there in Skid Row, but also other neighborhoods in downtown. When we went out with you, we had a moment in the car where you're like, I don't document this. Can you talk about that? Yeah, as a privileged white person who grew up on the West Side, I don't think it's my story to tell. I've never had any uh, problem with housing myself. And while I spend most of what I earn on rent, um, that part, I'm not insecure. And mm -hmm. so I feel that it's the most important story that needs to be told right now. And I have artist friends who do a better job of it, but I just don't really feel that I'm there to speak for anyone else. I'll have hints of it here and there. In that publication, I have a photo of the men's jail downtown because it's the cruelest building in L.A., and I think that tells some of those stories. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just I don't know how to, how to tell that story respectfully, so I think someone else has to do it. Got you. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about photography. I'm not a big photography nerd, but obviously you are. You're an I, artist. I am. You have to be. <laughs> Tell me about some of the tips and tricks people might want to hear when you're capturing th these lovely lights that you know are part of the city, or maybe the low dimness that you also also like to capture. I would say have a friend drive you. I always <laughs> do this solo just because I really like being alone with music. But I would say have a friend drive you so you can just see whatever you want to see and stop and be safe. Um, you said that going out with me and our producer was a new thing for you. Explain that feeling. You were in a car with a journalist and a mic in your face and, and we're asking you questions while you're capturing uh, photos. Well, first of all, I hear your voice all the time listening to your show. <laughs> so so it was it was weird meeting you in person. It was really cool. Um, but also, it's it's always been a completely solo thing for me. Um, part of of the experience of photographing the city is sort of capturing a sort of nighttime loneliness that, for me, harkens back to uh, Hemingway's "A Clean, Well Lighted Place," which I read in high school and just it killed me. And and when I go out in the city at night, particularly during the pandemic when things were so quiet, um, I'm trying to capture that feeling, and it's not something I want to do with my my friends. What is something that you would tell someone who's also capturing Los Angeles with photography or other types of art, you know? Photograph your friends, tell your story, photograph your neighborhood, photograph what you know. Don't, don't photograph what you don't know, um, but really try to tell your story. Yeah. One of the things that I really loved about your work was you had an art installation at the metro station. Uh, tell me more about that and how that you got to do that. Yeah, so it was called the Urban Forest. It was part of Metro's Lightbox series, and it was up in at Metro and 7th and then Beverly, Vermont for five or six years. I think the pandemic stretched out the show mm. a little bit. But basically, I've been photographing trees, topiary, what I call the Urban Forest, in Los Angeles for about 20, 21 years. And I really like the way that human stories and community stories and changing demographics can kind of sometimes be seen in front yards and, and, and on streets. Uh, also, my name means tree. Elon means tree. Schoenholtz means beautiful wood. And nominative determinism, I take pictures of trees. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You also explained to me a little bit that you're not always capturing uh, 
people all the time, which I think that's interesting because I when I think photography, I'm like, oh, of course, you're going to capture like people or when people think of L.A., it's like models in Hollywood and you're not really <laughs> doing that. So let's let's take it there a bit. I work really hard to exclude all people from my 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 images, my urban landscape photos. Um, I think they're distracting. And then once again, like like I've seen kids on Instagram, like I'm. I grew up as a skateboarder. I see skateboarders taking pictures of homeless people in in conditions of suffering and making light of it. And I don't ever want to do that. You know, sometimes it looks funny to see someone lying on a bus bench, but there's there's nothing funny about it. And also, let's say, like I mentioned Santee Alley before, that's not a community I come from. I like to photograph it at night because of the physicality of it and the light of it. But I'm not going to be photographing people there because that's not a community I grew up in. Um, I guess I might photograph Jewish people in the Pico Robertson area if they would let me, but they probably wouldn't. <laughs> but other than that, um, I, I really like to keep people out of it, but tell people stories with the built environment and once again through the urban forest. So through plants, buildings, the landscape, I like to tell human stories, but not, I don't want any bodies in the pictures. I, I think I get it because I've been in the process with you, I've interviewed you, but for those who don't, how would you describe it to someone? Like, this is the way this plant or this front yard characterizes a neighborhood. Okay, so uh, Norton Avenue in the Crenshaw District, it's where the Black Dahlia victim was discovered. Yes. Um, and it was uh, the first place that Japanese Americans could buy homes after World War II, after the concentration camps. And the topiary there reflects that. But then... Right after, within a few years of their, their being able to buy homes there, black Americans were finally allowed to buy homes there. So it was a JA community. It was a black community. Now if you go there, it's kind of an everything community. Mm-hmm. But those gardens are still there. And so that tells an L.A. story and the story of L.A. people. Cool. Uh, so where can people find you and your work? Uh, Schoenholtz.com. And where else? Instagram? Are you Instagram? Instagram, uh, at Elon Schoenholz, my full name. Okay, cool. It's a long one, so. What's what's next for you? I think more night photography. Mm. Yeah, more night photography. I I have a lot left to do with that and, and expanding neighborhoods a little bit. I've really been interested in graffiti more and more lately. There seems to be a huge resurgence uh, sort of a renaissance of graffiti in LA right now. Mm. And I know that can be bad for some homeowners and some business owners, but I find it mostly visually beautiful. And I've been I've been photographing it and particularly photographing it on buildings that I know are going to be replaced soon yeah. uh, because I, I like to photograph the same things over the years. Um, like, for instance, there are a lot of trees that I've photographed for 15, 20 years and shown their progress. And the same now with buildings that are full of graffiti that are going to have some new business in, in them in next month. And then it'll be an interesting sort of moment in time. Since we're on the subject, what do you think about LA's changes? Which we often hit in, in the podcast, and I think we try to document it different ways. But what are the things you might have seen that you're like, whoa, that was a huge change. You're like, I'm questioning this change. I can't think of anything that hasn't like changed in a dramatic way. So I grew up near Fairfax High School. Uh, I rode my skateboard up and down Melrose before any of the punk clothing stores were there, when it was just like furniture stores and old bookstores. And if I'm in that neighborhood now, I just... And, and that all happened while I was in high school, all the punk mm. stuff. 
But um, when I'm in that neighborhood now, I just see McMansions on the street I grew up in, which was like a lower, lower middle class to working class Jewish Russian neighborhood when I was a kid. And like now it's all McMansions and I feel like a, like a visitor from another state. And I feel like the whole city's that now. Alon, anything else you want to add for the listeners who are getting to know you and getting to know Harole? Uh, no, just thanks so much for having me here. It's, it's really been an honor. Cool. Well, you can find How to LA anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us on las.com slash how to LA. And we're also on social at LAS Official. Check us out and thank you for being part of this show today. A big thank you to the folks at On Air Fest for including us in the On Air Open House at Dub Lab. If you haven't subscribed to How to LA already, please do so. Tomorrow, we'll be talking about Metro Micro, the on-demand rideshare service in LA. Don't miss that episode. Talk to you later. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. Hey, it's Brian, the host of the How to LA podcast. How about we go to the movies? Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of LA's indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.